In the immortal words of Mr. Cub, Ernie Banks, let's play two. This is Runners Anonymous, the podcast. folks and welcome back to episode number two. If you haven't listened to episode one yet, I would invite you to go and download episode one and listen to that first. All these episodes are going to kind of sort of build on each other, so I am going to reference things that I've already said. And if you don't know what I've said, it's going to make it a little more difficult for you to understand what I'm talking about. Uh, My podcast is now available on iTunes. So, uh, it's easy to find. Okay. So, before we get into our new business, let's talk about some old business first. Since I mentioned iTunes, we'll start off with that. For probably the vast majority of you listening to this podcast, you are aware that this is available on iTunes as a direct download and a free download. Uh, Since in my last podcast I said I was never going to charge for anything that I do. I want this to be free and ad-free. I don't want you being bombarded with ads and commercials and garbage like that. That having been said, if you've noticed on the page that this podcast is on, on iTunes, there is a glaring mistake on that page, and that happens to be with the email address. For whatever reason, iTunes has an email address of noreply at blogger.com. That is not the email address for this podcast. The actual email address for this podcast is runnersanonymouspodcast at yahoo.com. The website for this is also very similar. Runners Anonymous Podcast.blogspot.com. Uh, if you go to either of those, you'll find uh, you can you can get reference to the uh, the email page. I want to make sure that people who do want to send emails are able to do so. So again, when you go to the home page for this podcast, you will be able to find both those listed there. All right. Um, Second thing, I want to do a clarification. In my first podcast, I was talking about uh, PodSafe networks in relation to music. I want to be very clear about something. Um, I had made a comment when I was talking about the uh, group that does the theme song for this, which is a group called The Tubes, which Tubes is spelled T-O-O-B-E-S because it is a Belarusian group, not the American group, which is spelled T-U-B-E-S. 
Anyway, uh, in listening to the podcast again, I wanted to make sure people did not get the understanding that I thought any of the music that the Tubes, T-O-O-B-E-S, does is crap. I actually like their music. I'm actually surprised that uh, some of the stuff, like this song in particular that I have on this podcast, is actually on a Podsafe network. Um, I think it actually could do fairly well on a commercial radio. Um, but it is the case um, in doing some of the research for this podcast and looking for a uh, Podsafe music to put on here that I did run into an awful lot of garbage on the Podsafe networks. And certainly was understandable why these were not on commercial radio. To be fair, my personal opinion here, there's also a lot of garbage on commercial radio. But that's a whole other issue. So I wanted to make sure that people did not think that I thought any of the music that the Tubes does is garbage. I actually like it. Um, I actually have another song of theirs that I might use in a future podcast, but we'll get to that another time. All right. Now, the final thing, another clarification here. For those of you uh, who also subscribe to Runner's World, you may have noticed a very interesting thing. My first podcast, I gave an update on the Newton, Sir Isaac Shoes, and the 2E With. And lo and behold, shortly thereafter came the new Runner's World, which I get at my house been a subscriber for probably over five years now. And sure enough, isn't there an article in there about the Newton Running Company? Now, I do happen to live in the same state as Rodell Press, the people who put out Runner's World. Um, but I got to be honest with you, I didn't scoop these guys. This was just dumb luck. I just happened to talk about something at the same time that they happened to talk about it. So uh, I don't want anybody thinking that this is, uh, you know, secretly the official podcast of Runner's World. That having been said, if Runner's World is listening to this podcast and you would like me to be the official podcast for Runner's World, I would want to make sure that you know that I will absolutely work for either food, free shoes, or free race entry fees. Any of those is good with me. So we'll just throw that out there while we're talking about it. Okay, let's get on to our very first topic for this episode. All right. For our first topic, we're going to talk about sunscreen. Now, it might seem a little odd uh, for a podcast that's coming out in, in early April, being taped in, in March, to be talking about sunscreen. Normally, that, of course, might be the case. If you live anywhere in this country, though, outside of probably the northwest of the United States. You've probably been dealing with some freakishly weird weather this year. And certainly if you live on the East Coast, you have been dealing with some very freakishly warm weather. 
I actually did a 20-mile run about a week and a half ago from when I'm taping, and it was 80 degrees outside. Um, I actually ran out of fluids, which is not something I expect to do on a 20-mile run in March. Uh, normally, it's about 47 to 50 degrees. Uh, I'm bringing a 24-ounce bottle of, of uh, fluid with me, and that is more than enough um, to cover me over 20 miles. Um, but not when it's 80 degrees out in March. That was just, that was a little painful. So uh, should have paid more attention to the weather, but that's kind of why we're talking about this stuff. Um, so since it appears we're going to be getting slightly warmer than normal weather, um, it's also probably pretty likely that people are going to be outside and doing a lot more training, which is a good thing. Got to be really careful, though, with your skin. Um, whether you know it or not, your skin is actually the largest organ of your entire body. And it's an important one. Um, and melanoma is certainly no joke. So a couple of things to be thinking about. Um, I mentioned in my first podcast a website. And I'm going to mention a couple of other ones here. Because uh, I want this to be a place not so much where I tell you everything you need to know from soup to nuts but where I give you some key points and then send you on your way to go look up the rest of the information so you can make up your own mind as to uh, you know what's going to work best for you. And again, when we're talking about anything health-related, you always want to check stuff out with your own physician because everybody's medical situation is even just slightly different than somebody else's. So again, what we're giving is kind of broad, overarching uh, rules and guidelines so to speak. Anyway, the website that I had mentioned previously was a place called Medline Plus. It's put up by the National Institute of Health, and it is really a, a fantastic clearinghouse of some very, very good and useful information when it comes to health promotion in general, not just pigeonholed specifically to running. You could look up diabetes there, which does have an impact on running, but it isn't necessarily directly related to running. One thing I wanted to just put out, and then I'm going to get off the topic here uh, when it comes to Medline Plus, though. A real good reason for you to use this site is that it is put up by the National Institute of Health, which is funded um, by your tax dollars. It's a government organization. So you have already, in a very real way, paid for this service, so you might as well get some use out of it. All right. So moving on. Certainly one thing you want to be very conscious of when it comes to uh, your skin is, of course, UV radiation. Now, there are certain, certainly different types of UV radiation. I'm not going to go into the specifics of that. You need to know it's out there. And a couple of other things just to be keep in the back of your mind. Even if it is a cloudy day, you can still get a sunburn. Even if you are running in the forest, you can still get a sunburn. 80% of the sun's radiation, UV radiation, passes through clouds. So large majority of the sun's radiation will pass right through clouds and then hits the earth. And of course, you and me and everybody else listening to this podcast is 
walk on the planet, so that means it's going to hit you. Um, you can shield yourself a little bit in the forest, but you're still going to get UV radiation in the forest. So just because you're doing a trail run doesn't mean you can ignore your skin. You still, If you're out long enough, you can still end up coming home with a nasty burn, and you don't want that. Melanoma is no joke. So a couple things you'd be looking at. If you have a smartphone or you're big into the computer, there are lots of different places where you can find the UV um, radiation scale for where you live. Uh, it's very important to know that. Um, I have a couple of things on my smartphone, uh, one of those being Weatherbug, and it actually has the UV radiation for you know the day that uh, I'm looking at. I can also move it to a couple different places that I also monitor on my uh, on, on Weatherbug on my phone, and it will tell me the UV radiation there as well. It's important to know that. Um, again, the scale is a, you know, a 0 to 10 scale. The lower the number, the less UV radiation. The higher the number, the more intense the UV radiation. That has an awful lot to do with uh, the likelihood that you will burn. Something that also has a lot to do is your skin type. There's lots of different types of skin types. If you happen to have very fair skin and you're the type of person who burns easily, you want to make special considerations to that. Uh, but just because you don't burn easily doesn't mean that uh, you can ignore any of this either. Uh, UV radiation is still very dangerous if you're not uh, paying attention to it. A little interesting factoid, though. For every thousand feet you go above sea level, the intensity of the sun's radiation increases by 5%. So since I like real-world examples, we're going to use this to uh, explain this to you. So I'm sure all of you are familiar with the guy named Tim Tebow. He's been on the news quite a lot in the last year and this month in particular. So when Team Tebow was playing in Denver, Denver sits a little over 5,000 feet above sea level. The sun's radiation is 25% stronger in Denver than it is in New York, where Tim Tebow is going to be playing football this season. So it's important to think about this because, of course, Especially for us, you know, folks who do a lot of traveling with uh, marathoning or half marathoning in, in particular, it's important to kind of know what kind of uh, conditions you're going into. Uh, if you are somebody who, for example, you know, runs at sea level, if you travel even to, uh, use this as another example, Olathe, Kansas, where I'm going to be next month, um, the average for that area is a thousand feet above sea level. You would think, you know, they're, it's Kansas, it's flat, it's probably pretty close to sea level. It's actually a thousand feet above sea level. So even from someplace like coastal Baltimore, which is not far from where I live, and which would be at sea level, okay, you're talking about 5% stronger UV radiation with the exact same conditions in both places. So that's a good reason for having some way to get access to the UV radiation scale.
Now, if you don't happen to have a smartphone, uh, and I know not everybody does, a lot of people do, but not everybody does. I want to get we're gonna to get to that part where I'm giving you the websites. There's a really good website, and it's put out by the EPA, and it's called www.epa.gov backslash sunwise. And there is just a ton of information on there. Um, there's actually a PDF attached with that, which is the exact same address, and then just attach backslash doc backslash sunscreen.pdf. And there's, I think it's six pages long. Uh, literally, it is soup to nuts. Everything you need to know about sunscreen, but we're afraid to ask. Really, really fantastic information on that. Um, there's also a UV calculator, so you can just put in your zip code, and it will tell you how strong is the sun's UV radiation for that zip code. So if you're traveling and you don't have to have a smartphone, you can't get the Weather Channel or something like that, because the Weather Channel is usually pretty good about giving you that information as well. You can just go online, plug in the zip code where you are, it will tell you for that day what the UV, radi UV radiation is going to be. So it's a good thing to think about. While we're on the topic, one other thing I want to throw in there with the idea of sunscreen is lip balm. Uh, a lot of people are pretty good about putting sunscreen on, especially during the summer. I don't notice as many people taking care of their lips by using a lip balm. You really want to think about that. Actually, your lips are actually even more sensitive than your skin. And if anybody's ever had like a canker sore or a cold sore, you know how painful that can be. And you certainly don't want to get a burn on your lips. So, real important, did you get yourself some sort of a, a lip balm? They're real small, you know, it's like chapstick, those kind of a, tubes there. They're very easy to carry, um, pretty easy to find something that is at least SPF 15, which is what you want to carry, and just bring it with you, put it in your bag, and, you know, about every hour, make sure that you're uh, keeping your lips safe. The same thing goes with sunscreen. Um, is if you're going to be out for any really long period of time, two hours or more, it's probably a really good idea also to bring a small container of sunscreen with you and simply reapply that about every two hours just to make sure that, you know, things like your shoulders and your knees and those things that tend to burn easily are protected. All right, moving on. Okay, now that we've talked about protecting the outside of your body, let's talk about protecting the inside of your body. And by that, we mean hydration. Really, really important thing that you do. Uh, if anybody's been to marathons or half marathons before, you've probably seen that person who didn't pay a whole lot of attention to this very important topic, and they were sitting in the medical tent with an IV in their arm. Don't be that guy. Hydration is something that you need to be concerned about all year. 
not just while you're getting ready for a run. Something you always have to consider. Couple reasons why. First of all, your body. Your body is mostly comprised of water. In fact, 60% of your total body weight is water. To put that another way, a man that weighs 154 pounds contains 10 and a half gallons of water. Two-thirds of that water is what's called intracellular fluid, which means this is fluid that is inside your cells. It's not stuff that's necessarily going from, from one part of your body to the other. It's actually part of your actual cells. It's two-thirds of that. Same guy, you're talking about 6.6 .6 gallons of water that is nothing but intracellular fluid. To throw this into metrics for those of you in Canada and listening other places, we're talking about a guy who's 70 kilograms, which leaves you with someone with 40 liters of fluid. Two-thirds of that, again, is this intracellular fluid, which means that same person would have 25 liters of intracellular fluid. So it's a huge, huge deal. And I think you can start to see with this much of your body being water, when your water level, and more importantly probably also your electrolyte level, but that's a whole other topic, is off, even by a little bit, it can have some very damaging repercussions to you. So you're probably saying to yourself, okay, well, that's great, Jim. Um, so how much fluid do I need? Well, funny you ask. There's a thing called a sweat rate, which I think every runner should know what their sweat rate is. What is a sweat rate? It's the rate at which you sweat. Why is that important? Because you can't know how much fluid you need to replace until you know how much fluid you're sweating out. Makes sense, doesn't it? So how do you calculate this? Well, really simply, you can go on the computer and you can find uh, one of a number of calculators that are out there. Plug in your figures and it will give you a number. But let's do it the old-fashioned way so you don't have to be so hooked on technology. To calculate a sweat rate, what you do first is you weigh yourself naked. Now, you could weigh yourself with clothes on and just weigh yourself with the same amount of clothes on later. There's a little bit of a problem to that. Uh, since we're calculating weight, um, obviously as you sweat, some of that weight is going to be in your clothes, so it will still be on you when you weigh yourself. So the most accurate way to do this is to actually completely strip down on the buff. Um, so just to throw that out there. But anyway, so you really should weigh yourself naked, then go out and run for an hour. When you come back in, weigh yourself again naked. You're going to subtract your post-run weight from your pre-run weight. You're going to get a total. You're going to convert that total to ounces. And if you need to, probably go ahead then and go to the calculator on the computer to do that rather than trying to do that freehand if you're not real good at math. When you have your that total in ounces, you're going to also add the number of ounces of fluid that you drank during that hour run. 
This is going to give you your total fluid loss for the hour. Divide that total by 4, and that's going to tell you how much fluid you should drink every 15 minutes. Now, I know there are some people who are saying right now, well, well why do I have to drink every 15 minutes? And that's actually a very good question. Your body needs to have replacement fluids. But when you put fluids into your body, your body doesn't replace those fluids immediately. So you drink a bunch of water, Gatorade, whatever your drink is, and it gets to your stomach. It doesn't automatically hit your bloodstream. Depending upon a lot of different factors, it can take anywhere from, on average, probably about a half an hour. Some people takes, it might even take a little longer. But certainly about a half an hour before that's been metabolized from your stomach and made its way into your bloodstream. And if we're talking about trying to get uh, fluid back into your cells, that's even a little longer process. So, but at least a half an hour. So to put this into a real-world context, let's say you're running a marathon, and you're a fairly standard marathoner. So you're going to finish this marathon in about four hours. And let's just say we've already calculated a sweat rate, and you need, say, 30 ounces of fluid per hour based on your sweat rate. If you do not drink until the end of that hour, you will not only be 30 ounces behind in trying to keep up with your sweat rate, you will actually be 45 ounces behind. Because as we've said, it's going to take about a half an hour for the fluids you drink to make it into your bloodstream. Well, you're still running, aren't you? You're still running for another half an hour. So if you lose 30 ounces an hour, and what you drink doesn't hit your, your bloodstream for a half an hour, that's adding an extra 15, which means by the time what you drank is actually hitting your bloodstream, you're 45 ounces behind. And this is where a lot of people get into trouble. They don't drink early in the race, and they don't drink enough. And by the time they get to the end of the race, they are so far behind that they are very, very dehydrated, and it makes it very hard to run because obviously your body doesn't function very well if you're dehydrated. And you tend to find a lot of these folks in the medical tent with the IV in their arm. So it's very important to not just try to chug water all at once. Lots of other reasons why you wouldn't do that, including the fact that you'll get end up with cramps and you're probably throwing up, which means you aren't going to be doing a whole lot of running while you're doing that. But it's a lot easier, to, again, like I always say with marathoning, it's easier to stay in marathon shape than to get in marathon shape. It's much easier to stay hydrated than to rehydrate. So it's the exact same process. So if you keep your hydration down to smaller bits, 15 minutes, okay, uh, it's much easier to keep yourself where you need to be so that you aren't getting dehydrated by the end of the run. But if you think about it, 
again, put this into more focus, if we're talking about every 15 minutes. Even if you are super fast and you're doing five-minute miles, that still means you're going to drink every three miles. If you're going to drink every, if you drink every 15 minutes. If you're somebody that runs, say, a seven-and-a-half-minute mile, you're going to hydrate every two miles. If you're somebody who runs a 10-minute mile, you're going to hydrate every mile and a half. For somebody who runs a 12-minute mile, you're going to hydrate every mile and a quarter. And if you're not actually running, you're, let's say you're out power walking, so you're doing 15 minute, minutes per mile, you're still going to hydrate every mile in order to keep yourself healthy and hydrated. So I like to put it into a lot of different ways so that people can understand these things. So again, though, to illustrate again that really the main point it is so, so important that you are hydrated, not only just during, but also before you get to a run. A couple of points on that. Probably for marathons and half marathons, again, you should be hydrating all year round. Because, um, again, we're talking about health. So, I mean, there's never a good time to be dehydrated. But certainly before a big effort like a half marathon or a marathon, a good rule of thumb is at the very minimum, one week before race day, you start hydrating, okay? Uh, what does that mean? You want to be careful with things like coffee, soda, or pop, depending upon what you call them. Both these things act to dehydrate you, both for little different ways. One, coffee acts a little different, and then the uh, soda pop, soda pop more more of a sugar thing um, than the caffeine, coffee, more of the caffeine, but they both act to dehydrate you. Now, I'm not saying stop drinking soda, stop drinking coffee. Um, I couldn't stop drinking coffee. I drink my coffee every morning, and I actually have a small cup of coffee before every race because as we said the last time we talked, coffee is a great thing for energy. Give yourself a little extra energy boost, uh, before you go and run. Nothing wrong with that. But a good rule of thumb to make sure you stay hydrated, since these things do tend to dehydrate you, is a one for one. So for the same amount of coffee or soda you drink, you should also drink the same amount of water. Now, this is not going to get you past even, but again, we're talking about a bare-bones minimum. If you do nothing else, because I know for some people it can be difficult to, to take in lots of other fluids. If you do nothing else, but say you have uh, six ounces of coffee and then you have another six ounces of water, at the very least, you won't be compounding the whole dehydrating issue by... Uh, just taking things that will dehydrate you. You really should drink more fluids that are not things like coffee and tea and soda pop. But if you do nothing else, at least drink the same amount of water that you do these substances and drinks and so forth. That having been said, a lot more is not better. Overhydrating yourself can be just as dangerous, if not even more so, than getting dehydrated. You'll run into something that you've probably heard a lot of recently, which is called hyponatremia, 
which is a big fancy word meaning low body sodium. Your body needs sodium to function as well. That's going back to the topic of electrolytes that I mentioned really briefly at the beginning of this talk. And it can lead to lots of nasty things like, you know, like seizures and death. So uh, you also don't want to drink so much that you, uh, you flush out all the salt in your body. Not a good thing. Uh, another reason why we're, we're saying every 15 minutes, you know, drink enough, you know, to, to quench your thirst and cover what your sweat rate is and you should be fine. Now, before I end this topic, I want to just uh, double back and just catch something in case there's somebody back there who's feverishly kind of doing the math going, wait a minute, okay. So we said, uh, you know, I drink a lot of fluids after an hour and then I'm, I'm like a, actually a half an hour behind and what happens after I stop running? Don't, you know, won't I eventually just kind of catch up as long as I stop running? Um, the answer to that is no. Uh, the reason for that is that your body expends water just keeping you alive, which is again why we're talking about you need to hydrate all the time. Just the simple act of breathing, you expend water. Don't believe me? Go into the bathroom, breathe real hard on the mirror, and then take your finger and wipe the condensation off the mirror. That's water. That happens all day long. happens while you're asleep. So your body is always expending water, so you always have to replace that. Um, obviously you do even more so when you're outside and you're exercising or inside and exercising, you know, just exercising in general. The other thing I want to point out too, when we're talking about the sweat rates, that calculation is, again, you want to think about that as an approximation. I mean, it's a hundred percent accurate for the day that you do it, but let's say you do it on a day at 60 degrees. That doesn't mean that's going to be 100% accurate on a day that's 80 degrees, 85 degrees. You will likely sweat a little bit more. It also doesn't mean it's going to be accurate on a day that uh, it's 20 degrees outside. You may sweat less, but you will still sweat. So again, think of that as an approximation. Probably not a bad idea at the very least to uh, you know, check your sweat rate at different temperatures. So, say when it's in the 60s, you check it. When it's in the 70s, you check it again. 80s, you check it again. 90s, so you kind of have some sort of an idea. Okay, as the days get warmer, uh, this is what my sweat rate does. So you can be a little more precise as to uh, how much fluids you need. But, again, think about this if you go into marathons and stuff. This is exactly why they have water or some sort of replacement fluid for you about every mile and a half to two miles. Uh, pretty much everyone I've ever run, that's about the minimum. Every mile and a half to two miles, and that really does kind of fall into this every 15 minutes you need to hydrate thing. So uh, important stuff. Uh, lots of more information on that. Again, if you go to Medline Plus, uh, you can find just boatloads of information on this. Alrighty, now to the next topic.
one of the things I mentioned in my first episode was that I wanted this podcast to be a lot more than just about me talking. And to accomplish this, one of the things I mentioned I was going to do was interviews. So we're going to actually have our first interview. I was actually able to sit down and talk to this guy via the internet. Uh, since we live in uh, two different cities. And this really, when it came down to interviews, there really just wasn't anybody else to pick for the first interview than this guy. And the guy I'm going to be talk we're talking to is Kevin Gwynn. Kevin Gwynn is the founder of the Extra Mile podcast. It was actually probably the most responsible podcast for getting me interested in doing my own podcast. Um, and I mentioned a lot about that on the first episode. So if you want to hear about that, download the first episode and listen to it. I'm not going to repeat it here. Uh, but Kevin's been at this for quite a while. And like I said, I was lucky enough to actually have the opportunity to kind of sit down with him via cyberspace and talk to him and actually interview him. So what follows is that interview. So enjoy, folks. Hey, Kevin, it's great to have you here. Well, as I've told my listeners in my first podcast, um, you're actually one of the main reasons why I'm doing a podcast anyway. So I guess my first question is, what interested you in doing a podcast? Well, um, I've always been a semi-geek, not a huge geek, but um, I do love my iPod and my uh, iPad and my computer, all that good stuff. So um, I started listening to uh, running podcasts Probably in about 2005 or six, when they first um, when they first came out, and um, I just um, kind of fell in love with them. And um, we were all training for the um, Fidipidations Worldwide Festival of Races. I don't think uh, I don't think Steve likes to call it the Fidipidations Worldwide Festival of Races, but whatever. Uh, back in 2007. And um, out for a one one run one day, and just decided, hey, it would be pretty cool to see um, how other people are training for this race, and um, um, involve every the, the community in it. So um, I came up with the idea while I was running one day, where I normally come up with my uh, best ideas, I guess, or at least my my most of my ideas, and um, got in touch with uh, Nigel to see if he might be interested in um, going in on this thing with me and also with uh, a gal by the name of Marathon Chris, a good friend of mine down in uh, the Orlando area. So um, we started brainstorming this thing, uh, put an episode or, or two together with all of us, and then um, the other two had podcasts of their own, so they kind of backed out, and uh, fortunately or, un or unfortunately, I took it from there. Very cool. I'm always interested in the idea of takeaways. You know, what do you get out of doing something? Uh, what would you say you've learned from doing a podcast? Well, besides um, a decent amount of the um, technical aspects of, of putting a podcast together, uh, I, I think what I've learned is that this thing can be an amazing tool at building a community and um, increasing the number of friends you have. I get emails, um, I get um, voicemails 
all the time from people who tell me what a great time they have listening to the podcast or that they feel like they know me and 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 I'm, and um honestly I feel the same way about them um classic example um I have from this podcast actually met um two or three people here in the Cincinnati area who I now consider to be very very close friends of mine that I um you know we'll meet monthly semi monthly um for lunch or for a beer or two or dinner or something like that so and, and that's just the people in town here that uh, there are so many people in the virtual community that I consider that I consider my friends so um if you're looking to uh meet people like-minded people who love to run uh, this is the way to do it either start your own podcast or or get involved in one uh like the extra mile uh or like runners anonymous well thank you very much for the plug for this podcast really do appreciate that but in most adventures not everything is sunshine and roses there's always some difficulties that come along the way what do you think is or just was the biggest obstacle you've had in podcasting the biggest obstacle really the only obstacle that i have in this podcasting world is um is finding the time um and 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 honestly as i think you will attest now jim that you've done an episode or two um it takes more time than you might think and my podcast really should should take a lot less time than than other podcasts because you know what i'm doing mostly is copy and pasting what other people say Uh, I don't know how you other podcasters that do the whole thing yourselves um can do it, you know. Um so mine should be easier, but it still takes a decent amount of time. Um so that that's really the only obstacle um is finding the time, but if you have a passion for it, if it's something you have uh, a lot of fun doing, um it's no big deal. Yes indeed, Kevin. I wholeheartedly agree with uh the amount of time it actually takes to produce a podcast, especially by yourself. Um that was one of the things that really shocked me when it came to doing podcasting. Um out of curiosity, uh, name one thing that really surprised you from doing a podcast. The only thing I think that I'm surprised about with this whole gig is that um it's gone on a lot longer than uh I than I I anticipated. When I first put this thing together, it was for one specific race, the um the, the worldwide half marathon back in 2007 and my intent was to podcast for about a I think it was probably about a 6 month period leading up to that race and then we would talk about it a little bit after the race how everybody did how their training went what they learned from their training and then that was it but but what what started to happen as the um, as the end came near is that I started getting a lot of emails voicemails about um you know people really liking the content people liking the format and asking me to keep going so I thought and I talked to Nigel and to Chris about it and thought well I'll go on for a little while see how it goes so it, we're coming up now on um 5 years of this thing um 100 episodes of the extra mile and I've also put together uh geez 25 to 30 episodes of uh, a couple a few three other podcasts that um that I've um done with Jeff Galloway in addition to to the almost 100 for the extra mile podcast. So, um it has definitely surprised me how long um that I've been able to keep this thing up. 
Well, I've been with you for the last two years, and I can certainly attest for the quality of your podcast. Um, again, your podcast, um, Nigel's podcast, also Run One Live, major podcast that uh, got me to do this podcast in the first place. Now, I mentioned in my first episode that I actually started off by doing a blog, but I found by being a part of your podcast, The Extra Mile, that the readership of my blog went absolutely through the roof. So that was certainly one major reward from getting involved in podcasting. What would you say is one reward you've had from podcasting? Jim, that's an easy one. Like I mentioned before, it's um, the friends that I've made, virtual and or real, um, through all of the podcasts, whether it's... um, whether it's people who have submitted to the show on a regular basis or just every now and then, people who email me who, do, who choose not to get you know, directly involved in, uh, in the show with um, sending submissions but just telling me um, little things about their lives and, and what the show's meant to them from time to time and uh, keeping them company on long runs. And, you know, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to bore you with some of the details, but I get some amazing emails from people who are just amazing people and that shouldn't come as any surprise I think um, I think runners are amazing people um, I said this on my on the on the um, podcast on the extra mile podcast the other day but I have uh, about 400 and I'm gonna get these mix, mixed up but I'm gonna I have about 425 friends in daily mile um, and if your listeners don't aren't familiar with daily mile they should definitely check out dailymile.com it's a Facebook-like um, program. Anyway, I have about 425 friends there. I have about 220 friends on Facebook. So, you know, I, I have roughly almost twice as many friends in the running community as I do back on Facebook. And, and that says something about, about you know, uh, where, where I choose to find my friends and uh, the kinds of people that I like to, to interface with. Very cool. All right. Well, since I've asked you a whole bunch of questions about your podcast, how about a couple more questions about you personally? Uh, Let's start off. How long have you been running? 28, 29 years, something like that, Jim. Coming up on 30 years here soon. Um, Some time ago, a friend of mine um, and I got together, decided to start running to lose some weight. I had um, tried to start running previous to that, but had always given up after, after a couple of weeks to a month. Uh, I now realize the things I was doing wrong, but it, it helps so much when you have somebody else there um, that's th- to run with you. You know, when w- when we had an appointment to run in the morning, uh, I knew if I didn't get my butt out of bed, he was going to be out, standing outside my door uh, waiting for me and vice versa. So it really helps to find a friend, especially there at the beginning. I run uh, almost solely by myself these days, um, and, and that's okay. I, I'm fine with that now that I'm really hooked on the um, sport. But initially, it just helped me a ton uh, by having somebody else there with me. I totally agree with the run with friends thing. It's actually one of the reasons why I look for a pace group at marathons to run with. Now, I started off running on high school. My dad ran. My uncle ran. Kind of in our family tree. What got you interested in running in the first place? Yeah, Jim, like I said, um, losing weight initially got me interested in running. Um, I, um, I had always wanted to be a runner just because I had friends that were runners in high school and also in college, and it just seemed like a very cool thing to do. They would just lace up their shoes and take off, and an hour later would come back. 
you know, hot and sweaty and just, but feeling great about it. Told me some of the places that they had run, and I thought, how how neat that would be. So, but but like I said, I I'd started several times and just couldn't couldn't uh, couldn't make it a habit. So, um, thank God I did though. We live in a very technically oriented age. So, do you find that you run with a lot of gadgets? Uh, yeah, like I said, I'm I'm a semi geek. Um, I virtually never run without my iPod. Um, I'm either listening to music or, in most cases, um, other podcasts. 90% of those podcasts are running podcasts. I have a few that are not running related that I really, really like. Um, so that's one geeky tool I take with me. Um, I, I never, ever run without my Garmin unless, like a fool, I've not plugged it in and the battery's dead. In which case, if my battery is dead, I either put on my Nike Plus which I do not like as well. It just is not as uh, accurate as the GPS. Uh, or I will take my BlackBerry, and I have a, an application on that, and throw that into my, um, uh, into my pocket and take that with me as my GPS device. So I'm always listening to something with a geeky device, and I'm always tracking my uh, miles, distance, pace, and all that good stuff with a geeky device. One of the things that I maintain is that running is a culture, and being a culture, that affects some of the things you do, and it also affects products that you buy. Uh, do you find that there are any products that you're using now that you're running that you didn't use before? Well, that's kind of a loaded question, Jim, and, and it makes me feel old answering it this way, but it's the truth. Um, the, the, the gadgets that I run with today were not invented when I started running. So when I first started running, um, you know, obviously there were no iPods, there were no GPS watches, um, there certainly were no cell phones. I, I remember early on um, having a real tiny little um, Sony Walkman radio that I would uh, carry with me and um, listen to AM or FM radio at the time. That helped me get through some of my long runs, uh, but it just drives me nuts listening to commercials all the time. So, But it was better than nothing. So, um, yeah, just virtually everything I carry today in the way of a geeky device is, is new since I started running. Well, it certainly wasn't my intention to put you on the spot. Uh, Age-wise, I'm probably not that far behind you. Uh, I do remember, you know, the rotary dial phone and getting ice out of the ice cube tray with a little metal thing that you had to pull up to break the ice cubes up. Uh, things that I'm sure people in the uh, younger ages probably have no idea what the heck I'm talking about right now. But I know you understand, so that's, that's the important thing. This brings us to our last question, Kevin. For those of you listening who might not be aware of this, of course, Kevin has done a number of podcasts with Jeff Galloway. Uh, for those of you who don't know who Jeff Galloway is... First of all, Google him. You will find just a ton of information on this guy, starting with the fact that this guy is an Olympian from 1972 and written just a bunch of different books on running and very, very good books on running, especially if you're a beginner. Uh, this is somebody that you need to seek out his information and read. Um, just a man who speaks from a whole lot of experience and it's just a, a huge, huge um, 
icon, I guess is the word I'm looking for in the in the running community. Uh, and also a very, very nice guy. I've had a chance to meet him once and just a super, super nice guy. Which brings me to my last question. How in the heck did you end up doing a whole bunch of podcasts with Jeff Galloway? And more importantly, how did you meet him in the first place? That's a very good question, Jim. Um, I get asked that a lot. I, um, I had done five marathons in a previous life back in the 80s, uh, uh, mid-80s to mid-90s. I did five marathons, um, none of which were designed to do any walking, m- most of which I did plenty of walking after about 21 to 22 miles. Um, but anyway, after, after you know, a 15-year t- period, uh, I had always wanted to try another marathon, uh, but I was hitting that 50-year-old mark, 50-plus mark, and just was not in the mood to go back to that the kind of training that I had done back in the back in the day. Um, had heard about Jeff Galloway and his methods. Got one of his books, his marathon book, and read it. And I thought, you know, if this guy's telling the truth, uh, it, it's it can be amazing. It can be, and, and I don't mean to make this sound bigger than it than it maybe is, but it could be life changing to me. So uh, I remember laying in bed one night and talking to my wife, saying, you know what? I'm going to send this Jeff guy an email and tell him that I do a podcast and I'd like him to train me using his method and I'll be his guinea pig and to come on my podcast and um, we'll put a separate podcast together. I'll be his guinea pig and we'll see if this stuff works. If Jeff writes me back and says he'll do it, then that's, that's my sign that I'm going to do another marathon. So I did. I think that I actually got into Facebook and sent him a note. Um, and sure enough, a couple days later, um, I got an email from Jeff saying, uh, it sounds like a great idea, let's do it. So he and I um, exchanged some emails. I came up with a format. Um, and, you know, I guess the rest is history. Um, I, he and I have done... Um, three series of separate podcasts since then. Um, and, and while we're on the subject of, um, uh, of meeting friends through this podcast, he is one that I consider now a very, very close friend. Jeff and I have um, spent some time together personally. We've, um, we've sat down and eat pizza together. Um, we have driven across town in his car. And there I was sitting in his, um, in his Subaru um, in the passenger side, and I wa- talking to him as we're driving through downtown Atlanta, and I wanted so bad to grab my BlackBerry and take a picture and send it to somebody, but I I uh, I, I, I did not do that. I thought I'd look a little bit too goofy doing that, so I was able to to restrain myself from doing that. So anyway, that's how uh, that's how Jeff and I got together. Fantastic. Well, Kevin, I want to take this time to thank you for being the first interview on my brand new podcast. It was really awfully nice of you, and it was really great meeting you, even if it is via cyberspace. Uh, Hopefully someday I'll make it out to uh, Cincinnati and we can talk face-to-face, but thank you very, very much for doing this. Uh, I'll leave the floor open for you if you have any final comments you'd like to share. Jim, before I let you go, I uh, appreciate very much uh, putting me on your brand new podcast. I appreciate your submissions to the Extra Mile, 
And most of all, I appreciate your diving into this podcast world yourself and uh, helping to spread the word. So thanks very much. Uh, Congratulations on your podcast. And I can't wait to listen to your first 100 episodes. 100, eh? Well, I'll see what I can do. Thanks again for coming on the show. Take care, Kev. Take care, buddy. Well, that's it for this episode, folks. Um, By the time the next episode comes out, my trip to Kansas and the Garmin Marathon will be all over. So, uh, obviously, the next episode will be about all things to do with nail fungus. No, no, just kidding. Uh, It'll be probably a Garmin Marathon Kansas extravaganza. Uh, I have a couple of other uh, ideas. Um, Might even have a surprise interview or two in there. Uh, You'll just have to come back next month and figure that one out when you download So, again, thank you very much for downloading this episode. Thank you for sticking with us. Uh, For the 10 people who have made me a permanent part of your downloading history or future, um, thank you. Hopefully that will increase. But uh, that's all I got for now. Thank you very, very much again. Talk to you soon. But for now, gotta run. (laughs) Yeah.